The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we are in a series walking through the gospel of John, but more specifically, not just all of John, but the miracles in John, at least a certain set of miracles that John calls signs. What the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, call miracles, John calls signs. And the reason that's important is because signs work, signs function differently in the world than just miracles. Does anyone, anyone at all remember what signs are supposed to do? All right, point you to something beyond it. Like it's not just for that one thing. So when you see someone in the gospels become healed, like as great as that is for that one person, what Jesus is actually trying to do is point you beyond that thing to a reality that you may not see. And that is a little glimmer into the way it's supposed to be. That's what John means when he says signs. But as you look through these signs in the gospel of John, one of the things that you will discover is that signs get really tricky. And the way I know signs get really tricky is because several years ago, ESPN did a commercial and it was really tricky when it came to signs and I want you to see it. A little house on the prairie. Yes! One more, go, another, go, quick, 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 quick. Okay, uh, three words, three syllables. First word, hook, 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 hook. Go, what else? Hook, horns, hook, horns, hook. What are you, what are you? What's going on? Come on. How do you not know this? There you go. Paper. Taco meat. So what do you do when the sign that you get is not the sign that you want? So over the Christmas break, one of the books I read was by a woman named Lori Gottlieb, and it's this book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And Lori Gottlieb is a therapist. She's written a couple of books, writes for The Atlantic, and she tells a story of not just her own clients that she sees in therapy, but of her own experience with her therapist. And at the beginning of the book, the thing that launches her into therapy, at least to go back to therapy, because many of you know that if you are a therapist or you're in one of the helping professions, that part of your education is that you have to go to therapy during that time while you're in school. But what launches her going back to therapy is that one night while she and her boyfriend were just binge watching TV shows together, that completely out of the blue, he breaks up with her. And it's not just the heartbreak of having to go through a breakup, but she thought that they were on their way to marriage, that she thought all of the indicators, all of the signs pointed toward marriage. They had been together for several years. Things were trending in the right direction. And in this conversation, when he is finally getting around to breaking up with her, he tells her that because she has an eight-year-old son, that he didn't want to spend the next 10 years of his life living with a child in the same house. And she was devastated because he was a great father. He had two daughters himself, but one was grown and gone, the other um, a senior in high school and was gonna leave. And he had never said anything about this before, at least not directly. And so she did 
what many of us do um, in the middle of a breakup or at the end of a breakup. We call all of our friends and tell them what an awful person this person was we were in love with 10 minutes ago was and tries to rally all the troops and get everyone to say how right she is and how crazy he is. And she's so depressed by the whole thing that she goes to therapy. And what happens over the course of time in her own therapy is that she realizes that all of this time, all this time that they've been together, that she had just ignored all the signs. That from the very beginning, he had been signaling to her that he wasn't really interested in raising another child. That as much fun as they had together, he was at a point in his life where the things that he talked about were all of the freedoms from having children in the house, the freedom of more money to spend on yourself, to travel, to do all of those things that we just think about a whole lot. And the signs had been there the whole time. And it dawned on her that he never really was particularly good at talking about difficult things and that she was never really good at talking about difficult things. And so they skirted around the issue this whole time. But in the end, the signs had been there the whole time. You ever had an experience in your life where you have just ignored the signs? Like you knew that you shouldn't date him, you shouldn't date her, that you shouldn't go on that trip, that you shouldn't take that job, that you shouldn't work with those people, that you shouldn't spend that money that way. And and there were some people who kind of tried to tell you, and when they tried to tell you, your response to them was that they weren't being supportive enough or they didn't understand, that you were so super special, unique in the world that no one could understand your unique individual circumstances and they just didn't get it. But at the end of it all, you knew that all of the signs were there the whole time. It's about 20 years ago, I knew a guy who was engaged to be married and me and some of his friends gathered around and I explained to him, like, you don't need to marry this girl. And the reason that you don't need to, know, to marry this girl, the reason I know you don't need to marry this girl is that you've told me all the reasons that you don't need to marry her, but you're still doing it anyway. And he was convinced that they should, and so they did. And five years later, just like I stood with them at their wedding, I stood with him in divorce court. About three years ago, a friend of mine was getting married. She had met this guy online, and I didn't think that he was a particularly great guy, and I had the same conversation with her. Like, you don't need to marry this guy, and it's not me trying to tell you what to do because the only thing that I know about this guy is all the stuff that you've told me. And that didn't even last five years. That lasted three months. So I say all that to tell you, like right now, if you're vetting somebody, I'm your go-to guy. I can give you. (laughs) But most of us have had an experience where we wake up on the far side of something And all the things were there, all the indicators were there all along the way. And we just ignored the signs. And the reason is, 
that deep down in us, we have this picture of what life ought to be. And we don't even know when we picked it up, but we had this idea of what adulthood was supposed to be like, or what marriage was supposed to be like, or what raising children were supposed to be like. We had this idea of what kind of money we were going to make, or what kind of job that we were going to have. And what happens is we hold on to that idea so deeply, this preconception, and maybe we get it from our parents or our grandparents or from the American culture. We get it from someplace, this preconception of how things are going to be. And no matter what else happens, we're trying to jam our actual lives into this notion. And so every sign, every indicator that we get has to fit that narrative. And we don't know what to do when it doesn't. And I want to suggest to you that when we miss the signs, we miss what God is actually trying to do in our lives and in the world. And I just want you to notice as we witness these signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John, the people who witness the signs miss the sign every time. They get it wrong every time. And so if you're feeling badly, like, oh yeah, I've had that experience where um, I didn't get the sign that I wanted, the sign that I got is not the sign that I wanted, and I missed it and did the wrong thing, you are not alone that people have done this well before you. And so what happens in the life of Jesus is that he's going around and he's preaching and teaching and he's performing signs. And so people are being healed. Lame men walk and blind people see. People are raised from the dead. And what happens in the aftermath of all of that is exactly what you would expect to have happen. Huge crowds start to follow Jesus. And he wakes up one day and this is really depleting and he tries to get away. And that's when we discover Jesus in John 6. And this is how John begins to talk about that sign. He says, once this had transpired, once Jesus had done all of these things, Jesus made his way to the other side of the Galilee, which some of the, some these days call the Sea of Tiberias. Now that is the long way around, the proper way around Samaria we talked about last week. As Jesus walked, a large crowd pursued him, hoping to see new signs. His healings of the sick and lame were gathering great attention. Jesus went up a mountain and found a place to sit down and teach. His disciples gathered around the celebration of the Passover, one of the principal Jewish feasts would take place soon. So Jesus sees this crowd and he says, you know what? I'll just go up the mountain and I will start to teach. And so they gather everybody around And then John mentions something that seems like it would be incidental to this story. He says Passover was near. So if you're familiar with uh, the First Testament or you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments or The Prince of Egypt, something like that, you might remember Passover. Passover is a commemoration of the night when God sent the last plague and the angel came down into Egypt and everybody um, was instructed to put lamb's blood on their doorpost. And it began, it launched a different season in the lives of the Hebrew people, one where they were freed from Egypt and resulted ultimately in the conquest of the promised land. So this is the beginning. Passover commemorates freedom and conquering. 
And so just like you might get a hankering for a hot dog on the 4th of July, even though you never eat hot dogs the rest of the year, or you want to eat turkey at Thanksgiving, for an ancient Jew, Passover is about lamb and bread. John goes on. He says, but when Jesus looked up, he could see an immense crowd coming toward him. Jesus approached Philip. Where is the place to buy bread so these people may eat? Jesus says, where can we get stuff? And he asked Philip because Philip's from around there and Jesus wants to know where's the closest H-E-B. Jesus knew what he was planning to do, but he asked Philip nonetheless. He had something to teach and it started with a test. Philip says, I could work for more than a half a year and still not have the money to buy enough bread to give each person a very small piece. Andrew, the disciple who was Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. I met a young boy in the crowd carrying five barley loaves and two fish, but this is practically useless in feeding a crowd this large. Now, this is where the story really gets weird. Because if you decided you were going to make a long trip to follow someone into the wilderness around the Sea of Galilee, it might occur to you that you might get hungry and that you might want to pack a lunch, but it doesn't. No one brings food. And what if the reason no one brings food is because Passover is near? Like, this is the time. This is the time where there is a religious leader who is leading people. He is going into the desert and it is near Passover. You remember those days in Exodus when Moses came back to Egypt and he performed signs and wonders. And once they were free, once they were out of all the entanglements of Egypt, they went out in the desert and they received manna from heaven. Passover is what happened so the Jews could be free. And Passover is a story about freedom from Egypt and the conquering of the promised land. And John wants you to know as you read through this story that this is a story about people who are expecting bread from heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Andrew comes to him and he says, you know, there's a boy I saw out there and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. And, and barley loaves, that was the bread of the poor people. And these two fish, that's not like, that's not like bass or trout. These are more like sardines. And, and you don't need to know that. I just, I just wanted you to know that I knew that. Jesus takes this bread. Passover's near. And one of the things you do, Passover, is you break bread together. John goes on. Jesus says, tell the people to sit down. They all sat down together on a large grassy area. 
Those counting the people reported approximately 5,000 men, not including the women and children, sitting in the crowd. And I just want you to put a pin in that, just right there. That number, 5,000, that's an extremely important number. And John keeps going. Jesus picked up the bread, gave thanks to God, and passed it to everyone. He repeated this ritual with the fish. Men, women, and children all ate until their hearts were content. When the people had all they could eat, he told the disciples to gather the leftovers. Jesus says, go and collect the leftovers so we are not wasteful. They filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves. After witnessing this sign that Jesus did, the people stirred in conversation. So why would people follow Jesus out around the Sea of Galilee? Well, this is why. He fed them. It starts with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus feeds over 5,000 people. Now, if that's not a sign, then I don't know what is. And even more than that, there are 12 baskets left over. And that's important to know because if you lived in the ancient world, if you were an ancient Jew, part of what you would do, part of your eating ritual was that you would leave enough for all the people who served you to be able to eat. Like this isn't like Downton Abbey where you just didn't care about the people downstairs. That what you did is you ate in such a way that the people who served you would have food for themselves. Just something to think about the next time you're tipping at a restaurant. And this is a little bit about what's happening in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul writes to church in Corinth and he says, all of you people who are getting together before the workers, before the poor people show up every day and you're just eating everything, like you're eating judgment. What, one of the things you do, an expression of hospitality and kindredness and brotherhood is that you always save for the people who serve you. And that should be the end of the sign. Jesus goes out above the Sea of Galilee. A bunch of people come. He feeds them. And maybe when you were seven and in VBS, that was the end of the sign. But John's not done telling the story. This is what John says next. The crowd says, this man must be the prophet God said was coming into the world. Jesus sensed the people were planning to mount a revolution against Israel's Roman occupiers and make him king. So he withdrew farther up the mountain by himself. Now, how does that happen? How does Jesus know that they are planning a revolution and to make him king? Or, or as the NRSV translates it, to make him king by force or of force, a king of force. Well, Jesus knows. Because Jesus sees the same thing that John sees. I don't know if you've ever tried it before, 
But 5,000 people, counting 5,000 people in a group is really hard. And the only way that you can count 5,000 people is if those 5,000 people make it easy for you to count 5,000 people. And I want you to see what's happening in this story. This isn't some mass of men who come marching out into the desert, into the wilderness to see Jesus. John knows there are 5,000 because they formed lines. And not just any lines. They form lines like the military would form lines. If you were living in the ancient world, you saw 5,000 men out in the desert, you would not see a crowd gather to hear a teaching. You would see an army gathered for a movement. And why wouldn't you? You have been oppressed by the Romans your entire life your father's entire life, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-great-grandfather's entire life. And Passover is near this story of freedom and conquer. And look what Jesus can do. Jesus can heal the sick. Jesus can raise the dead. And Jesus can feed multitudes. What more would you want from a king? That's what they were expecting. And so when Jesus comes and he is performing signs, a king who has come to conquer is the sign they want. but it's not the sign they get. And the truth is, for far too many of us, a Jesus, a faith, a religion that is focused on conquer and domination, that's the Jesus we want. But John wants us to know that's not the Jesus we get. Because we are very much like the ancient Hebrews, that we really believe the world would be made better if everybody just did what we said. And the best way to do that is for us to be on top and everybody else just to not be on top and to know that they're not on top. They come expecting Jesus to be a military and political ruler They expect that the best way to change the world is through might and power. And Jesus says the sign here is the best way to change the world is by feeding your neighbor. There's one sign that they want, but that's not the sign that they get. And that's why all through John, They keep missing the signs. And the truth of your life, the truth of my life, is that there are some ways, some things that we so desperately want that we will completely ignore the signs. 
and try our best to shoehorn this vision of a life that we never ever even ask whether or not it was the best life. But it's the life that we want. And Jesus says, I see you. I see what you're doing. You can form up lines if you want to. But you'll form them without me. And you can manipulate and control as much of your life as you want to. But you will do it while Jesus withdraws. So what do you do when the sign that you get is not the sign that you want? Well, I think you can start with two things. The first is that you actually have to pay attention to the sign that you get. So where the Hebrews had a certain way that they saw the world, that's not what Jesus was doing. And the only way to find out what it is that Jesus is doing is to ask Jesus what Jesus is doing. You cannot assume in any set of circumstances that this is the thing that God is directing your life to, pointing your life to, because it may not be. And I suspect that this story is out there somewhere. I just haven't experienced it. In my experience, the people who I appreciate the most, who I find the most mature and the most thoughtful, the most loving, those people reach a point in their lives, late in their lives, that their life doesn't look anything like they thought it would look when they started. But they paid attention to what Jesus was actually doing in their lives, and they followed Jesus to what Jesus was doing, Jesus' preferred future for all of creation, not their own preferred future for themselves. So this last Christmas, I had just this beautiful experience. Because not only did we have um, my two girls, our two girls in our home, but we had my dad's wife's granddaughters. And this is all five of them. And those girls, my dad's wife's granddaughters are 11, 10, and four. And I had forgotten what it was like to have a four-year-old in the house. But I can tell you this, those three girls live with my dad who is 73 years old. Because up until four years ago, their lives had been just a string of tragedy after tragedy. They are my dad's wife's son's kids. He was killed in a fire. And there's no place for them to go. My dad is 73 years old. No 73-year-old is planning on having a four-year-old in their home without further plans to return them to someone. <laughs> and over dinner one night, we talked about what they were going to do. And he said, the thing is, I think if we don't keep them, they just go back into the childcare system in Mississippi and we'll probably never see them again. And so we're trying to figure out what we need to do 
to adopt them. Which has implications for my brother and for me and our inheritance. But this is the sign you get. And if you want to be the kind of person who follows Jesus, you live into the sign you get, not the sign you want. And then when you have that sign, you have to show those children the right signs to make. And you know that's the right sign because her name is Messiah. And I think you also just have to come to terms with the fact that the miracle might happen in your hands. There's a boy in the crowd, he's got five barley loaves, he's got two fish, and they bring those to Jesus. And Jesus is actually in this sign, in this miracle, pretty passive. He does what most of us do when we have a meal. He just prays and he hands it back to the disciples. And I don't know, I can't tell you how this sign happened. I can only tell you where it happened. And it happened in the hands of the disciples and the crowd as they passed fish and bread to one another. And there are times when we are so desirous of God to step in and send a lightning bolt or a thunderclap and make everything different. And God is saying, I've done my part. The miracle's in your hands that you take what I give to you and you share it with your neighbor. And in the end, you will discover there's more than enough. And so my prayer for you, for all of us, is that we would become the kind of people who rightly and properly see what God is doing and not miss the signs. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, would you give us eyes to see as you see and embrace the world as you embrace us? that we would hear and see and know what you are doing in our lives and our communities so that we could join you and with your mission. So God, we pray that wherever we are right now, that we would be people with sight who lean into what you are doing and not try to force you into what we're doing. And we ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, 
please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.